You're listening to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. Conversations with creatives during the quarantine. Hey, what's up, good people? Today is April 2nd, 2020. We're about three weeks or so into this quarantine lockdown period of time. Well, I don't know what you all have been doing, but I've been playing a lot of bass. I've been working on music, been staying in touch with friends and family, uh, been teaching Skype lessons. I should also say, if you want to take a Skype lesson with me, just go to my website, www.stevejenkinsbass.com, and fill out the contact form. But yeah. I would say the other thing I've been doing a lot of is I've been playing a shit ton of video games. Mostly it's been Zelda Breath of the Wild. I got a Nintendo Switch a couple years back and I've been digging the hell out of that system. But I just got Zelda not too long ago. Uh, The game and the story itself are incredible. But also, the landscapes and the world it exists in, that's been providing me with a much needed respite from current events. Looks like I'm also going to get Animal Crossing, since everyone's also playing that right now. I guess, for some reason, any world seems better than the one we're currently in. And it just seems like, besides having good, accurate information from our news sources, it has to be has to be leveled with some escapism. That's just an essential part of how we're all going to make it through all of this. And I'm grateful to have music and video games. But also, I'm extremely grateful to have excellent friends in my life. Like today's guest, Ian Allison. In the truest sense of the networking part of social networking, I met Ian through Instagram. He's an awesome bass player and an equally awesome person. I've always dug how positive he is, and the way in which he carries himself when he interacts with people in his posts and his Q&As on Instagram. One time last year, when I was having a particularly rough professional moment, he took time to listen to me and offer some advice. I should also say that this interview was done on March 24th, which was a little more than a week ago. So keep that in mind as the world events have been changing rapidly day to day. In any case, we had a great chat about current events, playing bass, the positive elements of social media, the wisdom behind maybe using the house rig at clubs versus bringing your own stuff, and lots of other things. Here it is. What's been happening, man? Oh, man. Uh... So much, so much and nothing. I mean, you know, it's this crazy, I mean, I hope that we'll all like, if anyone listens back to this after this is over, it will be this time of reflection of like a crazy time, but also good in some ways. And, you know, I mean, man, we're just right in the middle of week two of sort of, you know, house uh, quarantine. I've got I'm in a duplex. My mom lives on one side and she's in her late sixties. And then I have my family, me my wife and two kiddos. Uh, my daughter's eight, my son is four. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're, we're just trying to make this crazy new adjustment work. Like my son loves, uh, eating sushi, which is really super fun for me. And so he was like, dad, he's four. And he was like, dad, because of coronavirus, we can't go do the things we used to do. Remember when we would go eat sushi? You know, it's just like <laughs> breaking my heart. It's funny. I told my wife today too that like I I've never wanted to go play brown eyed girl at a wedding gig like more <laughs> in my entire life. I'm like, just give me that wedding gig, man. I I'm ready. I'll play I'll play journey tunes all night long. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, the bridesmaid wants to sit on. I will survive. Yeah, let's let her do that. Abs, give give them all the cowbell. Let's go. Yeah, man. I mean, it sure it sure puts things into perspective. It does. I miss playing out, and it hasn't even been two weeks. I know. Uh, I mean, I feel like what what's interesting is like you know we we're in this world now where you can kind of become friends with someone online and then you meet them later and I feel like that's you know I, we just met for the first time like a couple weeks that's ago right. yeah when stuff had sort of a feel of normalcy to it you know yes uh, which is weird I, mean, I remember when we were that's right so I was I was out with Eric Hutchinson on a tour 
Um, and we came through and played the Troubadour and you came, which was so cool. And I remember feeling like nervous that you were even there. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember like we, we went out and had like a great meal hung out. And I even remember someone like that night, Eric, we would always do this improv song and Eric made up a song about the coronavirus. Oh, right. That's right. And at that time, I mean, how long ago was that? Was that three weeks ago? That was three weeks ago. Yeah. Like at that um, time, it felt like, uh, something that you could make fun of, which is so crazy. It's so crazy how fast things changed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it was still, it was still something that was in the headlines, but it was, it wasn't like the headline. Right. And, um, I just think the way, uh, I'm going to try to make sure this rant doesn't go like too unchecked, but like just the way that news is now, you know, it's, it just seems like it's always the loudest thing in the room versus like the other things in the room that are really kind of important. But yeah, for I, sure. Yeah. Like I've been kind of following the stories on this since like January, you know, because it just seemed like, okay, this is not something that's going away. And, you know, we have a world that's connected by travel and it's inevitable that something like this could definitely come over here. And um, I don't know. Yeah. It was like, it was like an interesting thing. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, we are definitely living in a historic moment. And it's going to redefine a lot of things. Um, I'm still seeing a lot of optimism from a lot of people, which is yeah. cool. You know, like I feel yeah. like a lot of us are just yeah, kind of scrambling. Sure. We're just trying to scramble and make stuff, uh, make stuff sort of like work for what's what we're able to work with. So what have you been doing in, in that regard, man? Like, have you been teaching a lot of online stuff? You doing a lot of remote sessions? Like, how's how's that? I mean, been? I would. I would love to be able to say like, oh yeah, hundred percent, man, just crushing the, <laughs> crushing the remote sessions and the, uh, and the, you know, online learning. I mean, honestly, I feel like people are at least in my zone are financially pretty, pretty scared. So yeah. some of the things that I had lined up have like, oh, we're just gonna, we're gonna take a, gonna hang a little bit on that and we'll, we'll let you know. It, it is interesting though. I've had definitely some more like collaboration stuff come through where people are like, Hey, I'm going to, I've always wanted to do this. Now I have time. And so the thing that I've been really excited about is people now finally crossing some things off their list that maybe because of those wedding gigs or because of those, you know, church gigs or, or sort of, you know, a job that people are finding themselves not having right now, they're able to dig into some creative projects. Um, so I've been trying to make time for that. I, I put up a post on Instagram a little while ago that I have become now like straight up full time dad. I mean, with the two kiddos and schools not open, holy moly, that changes stuff. So I've been really excited to find some time during the day or in the evening after the kids go to bed where I'm, you know, I can break out the instrument and play a little bit. Um, I've got a friend who's going to be doing some play along stuff and was talking about, you know, getting some things going for that. There's a couple of places that um, like singer songwriters and just like jingle house places that I work for a little bit that need some music. So I feel really fortunate to still be in that zone. I've done like one kind of like conference uh, where, you know, consulting about like home recording setup. I mean, that's the crazy thing that's emerged from this, right? It's like, people that were just only gigging and had no social media presence or any kind of setup to do remote communication or remote tracking are, are going like, Holy crap. Like, yes. like, Hey, what interface should I buy? So I've, I've been finding that I've been talking to a lot of people about that too, just about how to get your home set up moving. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's really important to me right now. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I'm in, uh, I've, I've been finding interesting is like even people who I know that are pretty dialed in with, with their online presence. Mm-hmm. I just think the idea of like taking, taking something that, um, we all love, I think everyone loves playing gigs, you know, to a certain extent. Right. Um, but like if that is like the, the star card in the, 
in the hand, right? If that's what's like kind of where a lot of the income gets generated, I think people who are sort of in that category of musician, um, they're starting to think more about like content and putting stuff online and kind of diversification. Um, and I actually feel like there's people, um, who have, I mean, I don't think anybody who who's a really successful YouTuber, for example, I don't think anyone was like, well, in case of a pandemic, at least I got YouTube. Like, I don't think anybody's really looked <laughs> right. at like, you know, and right. if they, you know, if uh, that would be amazing if that if someone had that kind of foresight. But I think just in general, I mean, if we can just look at the way society's been with with like the phone, like the, the smartphone and the way all media gets consumed. I mean, I, I feel like that's been a pretty strong indicator for a while that that's how folks want to. um Maybe not if that's maybe not be the default location to consume things, but definitely one of the default locations to consume media or education stuff or or what have you. So, boy, I I couldn't agree more. Like, I feel that I started to take Instagram kind of more seriously just on a personal level. You know, I, I turn I'm 41 now, but when I turned 40, I was like, oh, I need to. I need something to change because I was at the mercy of, you know, artists uh, and gigs. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, like, I, I need to start taking this thing seriously. I actually really enjoy social media. I think it's possible to use it for good instead of just narcissism. Um, and so I, I've been really, really excited in this last year about Instagram. And I, boy, I tell you, I, I am so happy that I did that because there's, you know, there's a small group of people that check out what I do. And, um, and it just feels honestly, even like just the connection, the emotional and social connection that I feel from that, if we take away gigs and we take away, you know, maybe payment for a session or something, just the connection I feel of talking to people via DMS or comments on social media about something that I feel really passionately about, which is these small niche nerdy aspects of the bass guitar or, you know, playing music, um, coming from the bass perspective, like having Instagram be an outlet for that is huge for me. I mean, it was huge before the pandemic and it's, uh, it's even bigger now. I mean, I, the, what I feel when I put a post up and someone comments on it, man, it's, it's like, it's like mental oxygen. Well, I like how positive you are on there. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like you, you're very authentic, uh, in, in how you post. And then, you know, in, in person, you're like the same guy. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that like, uh, I mean, that's why our friend Scott Devine, uh, I think is, is such, such a successful, uh, person, you know, in, in yes. the stuff that he does. Like, cause when I, I, you know, when I did my course for him, I hung out in Brooklyn and we hung and, and it was like, he was such a cool guy, man. And it's nice when, you know, you can tell it's coming from a real place. Um, so I definitely feel like Instagram is the one place I keep it positive and the other places, right. the other places are, are where I'll opine about political things or sure, sure, I'll course. let the darker, the darker sarcastic parts of my brain take over. But Instagram that I, stuff's important too. I mean, that stuff is important too to have an outlet for that. So you're not just sort of bullshitting in this uh, in this sunshine space, you know? Yeah, um, I get that. But yeah, man, I for Instagram for me, I feel like it's um, I just try to think about what I would want to see from a peer or a bass player, even that I might look up to. Like someone was like, wh- like, what do you think about when you post? I'm like, man. When I post, I just try to think about like what I would want to see from Tony Levin <laughs> or <laughs> right. you know, like a like a bass hero. And not to say that I'm a bass hero, but, you know, there are a lot of kids, man. There are a lot of or people that are just, you know, starting on their musical journey that are excited to hear about very small niche aspects of like how to use a certain pedal or how to play. Uh, for this certain genre. And those are all the things that I wish I could have seen or that I still wish I could see from my favorite players. Like I wish Sean Hurley posted more, you know, like, I'm like, man, I want to hear about what you think about when you're playing, uh, you know, a one, four, you know, like a one, five, six, four pop tune. Like what do you, do you just find it in your fingers? Do you sing it first? Do you like, 
that's the kind of stuff that I'm posting so that, you know, people have this little insight into uh, perspective, you know, and it's all, it's just about perspective. Everybody's got their own thing. And that's, you know, anybody that's like, ah, man, I don't know if I want to dive into this. I don't know if my perspective or my opinions are valid or if I've had enough cool gigs to warrant my perspective. And my whole thing is, man, everybody's got something cool to say um, if you just decide to say it. And then it'll start to people will start to pay attention. Like if you're honest about your perspective and what you're doing is good work, man. People will people will check that out all day long on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that you know the minutia of something really intrigues people. Um, yes, I don't. I don't think it's ever not intrigued people because I think that's why you know, like stories about, you know, like, let's go, let's go deep, like stories of like, you know, Van Halen, not wanting brown M&Ms, like, that's why people love that kind of stuff. So it's like, you know, like, hotel room hacks on the road, like, sign me up, man, or like, I know, here's how to, you know, here's how to fix, here's how to fix a knob on your base. If you don't have a screwdriver and you lost the tiny, (laughs) stuff like that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And it's valuable, right? I mean, it's like, if you sort of feel like, Ooh, I'm getting a little secret. I mean, I've even found, like I did a post a long time ago about like, you know, the vintage style fender bridge. Typically I find that I can put a pick, like the thickness of pick that I use, I use like a Dunlop 96 and I can put it in between the, in between the spring and the string on the G string saddle. And it's this perfect, not too tight, not too loose fit. And I mean, I've always just done that. But then one day I was looking at it and thinking like, man, this is, this is such a silly, small thing. But I remember posting about that and people like, I got like 50 DMs of people saying like, whoa, that's incredible. I always have it in my mouth or I put it in my pit guard and it falls fast or you know, I'm digging around in my pocket or have you ever thought about putting it here? I mean, it's crazy. People would say like, oh man, that would be better than me putting it in the pit guard because it always falls in. And, you know, I just got this huge response of people saying what they do or thanking me for that little tidbit. And I mean, that's the stuff that people don't know or they don't like maybe believe is valuable. Uh, until you just try it. Like, what's the one weird thing that you do that, you know, that, that might, you haven't even thought of might be valuable to somebody. You know, that's sort of the spirit in which I like to post. And sometimes it feels very, very simple, like oversimplified. Like I just put up a thing today about chucking two and four, you know, in a groove, like with your hand and the pick on the base. But man, I swear so many people just don't, don't, even think about that stuff and so i'm trying to you know like post the things that i think are valuable and maybe like so simple (laughs) that that they go kind of under the radar yeah i mean i think a lot of the a lot of the really great things i've picked up as far as like cool cool things that will work um and and potentially not hyperbole here, life-changing things yeah, um, yeah, are very, very small, very, very small concepts, but they have like huge impact, huge impact on like what they actually do. If you, if you, uh, embrace them, like the one thing that I really, really, I think it really, I mean, it didn't, I, I embraced this from an early point in my playing. So it didn't really like, I can't say that like, um, I haven't known playing any other way, but keeping your strap height concurrent like like whatever whatever height it's at when you sit down like keeping that the same when you stand um i feel like that probably kept me from getting certain kinds of playing related issues that would have yeah yeah funny that you talk about strap height really quick i did a stint i played in that band soul asylum for a little while oh cool um just subbing and uh their main guy winston roy is amazing and you know has been a broadway bass player for a long time but there would be you know certain dates that he couldn't make because of his broadway schedule so i got to go out with them and 
I got to do a little tour and I'll never forget, man. I, I knew that Perner, that Dave Perner, you know, the singer was like total rock and roll dude, you know? And so like way low, like strap as low as possible. And I'll never forget like showing up to the first rehearsal and lowering my strap, like quite a bit lower than I would ever normally go and thinking like, yep, this is, this is great. And then like Perner being like, uh, yeah, man, it's cool. Like I'm excited to do these shows with you and everything, but, uh, can that bass go down any lower? You know, wow. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I mean, it feels kind of like, you know, it's kind of like bass nerd high right now. And it wasn't, (laughs) you know, but like his perception was so funny. And I, you know, so I did. It was really uncomfortable. And I remember like going home and telling my wife and she was like, well, like, what's the lowest possible like she's like, is the is the music like super technically demanding? Like, I'm like, well, no, but it's like, well, drop it as low as it'll go. And so, man, I did. And then, you know, it was like by my knees. And I remember like kind of getting used to it and then having like a couple of years where I had the bass like way lower than I normally would. But then slowly over time, yeah, kind of noticing some things in my wrists. And after my stint in Soul Asylum, man, I was like, whoop, the bass, <laughs> you know, the bass came back to a to a more uh, sensible position. But it's funny how that stuff like, how certain artists are with that kind of thing, you know, like sometimes that look is more important to people than, you know, than the ergonomic functions. Yeah. People listen with their eyes. That's, that's always been, that's always been a component of the rock thing, I guess. Um, for sure. But there are a lot of bass players that wear their bass at fairly conservative heights, man. Like, um, I mean, Getty Lee, Gene, even Gene Simmons doesn't wear his bass that low. I know, um, I know. And I love it. I love the look of it actually, like kind of a little higher than normal in the rock zone. I mean, I love it when guitar players wear stuff like real high, like Vernon Reed always wears it pretty high, doesn't he? I mean, he's um, like, it's not hiked up, but I think, I think it's kind of like waist level. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, all those, all those guys that, that want to have uh, access to everything on the instrument at all times. Um, I think that's, that's just, you know, for, for technique reasons, but also just what they're doing. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, like Tom Morello wears his guitar really high, but, Oh yes. But he's doing yes. a lot of stuff where he needs to get to things quickly. And I think that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the, uh, the idea um, but yeah, I, I could see the, the argument that like, if you're, if you're not going to have to play things that are as technical and you don't, you're not going to need to have it as close to have command over certain passages or certain things you want access to. And if it's just more about a vibe and that yeah. helps, vibe, I can, I can kind of buy that a little bit. Um, yeah. but, but you know, just it's to me, I, I just try never to take those things personally. Like, I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, you know, now Perner's trying to change me or, you know, like I coming from a sideman perspective, I'm just like, oh, for sure, man. Like I just tried to look at it as a new challenge. Sure. Like, what will what will this be like? Uh, and it was it was difficult, <laughs> but it was also kind of fun, man. You know, it made yeah. me feel it made me feel different. I was like, oh, yeah. Like it made me feel like less of a like base base geek which i totally am and 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 playing the role of, of slightly less of a base geek was actually pretty fun man <laughs> yeah know? felt like i was in a movie or something you know it was just like it was it was silly but i mean you know i'm thankful not very few artists that i play with like care at all about that kind of thing um it was just the one the one time that you know it was really like a big issue <laughs> i just thought it was funny I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of that, man. Like I've definitely had gigs where I've been asked to, you know, bring a fender and, or do you have a P base? And, yeah. and I, I have, you know, I have a, a couple fenders and, or I have a few fenders and like one of them, I have a great P base. And, um, I don't actually think this person could describe in words or frequencies, the difference between a precision bass and a jazz bass, but it doesn't For matter because sure. that's what they want to see. And if right. that's what, you know, if that's, what's going to make them feel 
comfortable, uh, then that's that's just part of it. And yeah, I think that's that's the that's the part of all this that like, you know, part of being a side person is sort of acting the part sometimes, even if it's like not exactly, you know, something you would need or find necessary just to make the music work how it's supposed to work. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I mean, that's never a debate I would ever have with someone like, well, can you, yeah. you know, but you know, but cause I don't, I, I would never expect a singer songwriter unless they played a lot of instruments and that's totally within the realm of possibility. But if they're like, look, you know, it's really about the mid structure I care about. Cause so could you please bring a P bass to this? Because I just, <laughs> Can you imagine? I know yeah, that, very, but, that very rarely happens. It yeah. is interesting though, man. I had so I was in this rock band for a long time called Down and Above. It was like a hard rock band, and that was like my twenties. And I remember recording with this guy named David Bendith, who ended up making a bunch of like kind of like hard rock records. Um, and he said this thing to me that I've never forgotten. At that time, I was playing like really kind of boutique graphite things. I was playing Zons. And I had a couple of modulus bases and I was, um, you know, really like poo pooed anything traditional. And it's, it's fascinating because I've done a complete 180. Um, and I remember being, you know, playing bass on my band stuff and him saying, before we came out, we did it in New York. And I remember him saying, you know, before you come out, make sure you bring just like a standard fender thing, either a jazz bass or a P bass. And I was like, Oh, I've got, uh, I have something way better than that. You know, he was like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> right. So I brought out, you know, I had like a, I think I brought out a modulus bass that was a four string. It looked like a jazz bass, but it had, you know, active pickups. And, and I remember this thing that he did where, you know, we, we tracked it and he was like, okay, yeah, that bass sounds fine. He's like, but let me just, he's like, just check this out. And he had a jazz bass in the studio and it wasn't special. It was, you know, just a, you know, early 2000s, like American standard jazz bass. And he plugged it in and it sounded better. It sounded bigger, wider, more mid-range content, like woodier, more like connected to the mix. And he just said, just check it out. And I, this like epiphany happened. Like it was that moment where I was like, oh, and I felt but I still felt this thing like I needed to hold on to the, I guess it was like individuality or something. I didn't want to play the bass that everyone else was playing, you know? And he was saying, and he kind of was like, Hey, do you want to do session stuff? And I was like, yeah, I really do. And he said, well, you need to learn how to love these classic sounds and you need to learn how to love these like very traditional instruments and and then it's not the instrument he's like so many players think like well it's the bass that defines like it's the look of the bass that defines he's like that that is not it it is your playing you can play any bass you want um and it's your playing that will define it so if you want to go into the studio and you want to always you know make these amends around the base that you pull out you pull out the the graphite neck thing and you say oh don't worry guys like you're starting from a place of disadvantage um if you pull that thing out and you're already apologizing and i in that moment i completely got it and it started me down this quest of like man i want to really appreciate what a hoffner is about or like man i really want to appreciate what a stingray is all about um, and kind of like view them as like different flavors um, instead of like, man, I am only going to play my one thing. I'm an artist. Don't tell me what the fuck to play, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, and I just I just completely changed. Um, and it's been a and, and I don't know, you know, who knows if I would have just sort of stuck to my guns, what would have happened? Maybe maybe nothing very different. But it is interesting, like people don't say to me very often, like, dude, you have to bring this kind of bass or please, you know, make sure you have a P bass because they kind of already seeing me on Instagram. They already trust that I have those kind of things. And honestly, like being in that zone a little bit more, like having a nice P bass or having a nice jazz bass with flats or whatever kind of actually gives me more leeway to be like, all right, check it out. I know, I know I've got an old Ibanez 
you know, musician fretless from the eighties, but check it out. But because I also brought the sixties P bass, <laughs> you know, I'm like allowed yeah. a little bit more like bass kookiness, like, Oh, <laughs> well we trust this guy. So maybe we'll let him play his Kubicki factor on, <laughs> you know, or whatever, because I definitely still admire or like have leanings towards some of those things. I just also really enjoy now, like truly from a place of like, like authenticity, like what a Thunderbird does and what, uh, you know, uh, Starfire does. I mean, I know, I know what those do really well. And I like hunted for those classic pieces over the last, you know, 10 years. Um, and I think that affords me then just a little bit of like movement back into base nerddom. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I had the same tra- trajectory, uh, to a certain extent with, um, kind of going through the, well, if I play this fancy bass with an amazing top and, uh, you know, like a graphite neck, then that's going to make me stand out or sort right. of be, you know, um, but I kind of came to that conclusion when I, um, you know, I had this modulus bass, which I used pretty much on most of my first record, um, except for a couple tracks. I played a Fender jazz bass. Um, but like I had, I had sort of like the ultimate hi-fi rig. It was like, I had a modulus five string, um, during that time period, like I'll out myself. Like I tuned E to C because I was oh, really, yeah. really yep. I was really, really yeah. trying to be Matt Garrison at that point sure. or sure. explore that type of thing. Um, and I was playing, I had a Walter Woods, like I had the most powerful one, which was like, I think it was like a thousand watts or something. Yeah, and, those really clean. Yes, sure. And then it was going into a Bergantino, uh, like it was like called a 322. So it had like two tens. I remember that. And a 12. I remember that cab. Sure. Um, that was a great cab and whoever broke into my truck in Brooklyn in 2005 or 2004 got a really great cab. But anyway, um, (laughs) so, so I played out of, um, I was playing some gig where the back line was like an old Ampeg and for some reason, the combination of the modern bass with the older amp sounded really good. You know, yeah. like I, for some reason, like it kind of equalized like the high fineness of, of everything. But I don't know. I just kind of naturally made my way back to like more traditional uh, yeah. instruments and even like my signature five string, like that's really for all intents and purposes, a jazz bass. There's just a couple little things under the hood that make it kind of modern, but still like when it's in passive mode, it sounds it's got that familiar thing that everybody loves and you know the one bass i have that's really futuristic is that strandberg that's like and multi-scale but but honestly man that thing sounds amazing on a track so but i definitely you know i think by and large like people want familiarity and they want to they want to like hear hear what's uh you know they want to hear the stuff that's on the records they love and i feel like there's there's more than like those two bases on all the records that we love. I mean, it's definitely, of course. but I think, you know, like if we're taught, you know, every artist probably uses like primary colors and I feel like that's how it is with instruments. Like ultimately, you know, I think that's the other thing about, um, the Fender thing. Like when I went to New York, I noticed that there is a very pervasive fenders, not like fenders only, but basically like kind of fenders only depending on like what you're trying to do. Like you just see this everywhere. And, um, you know, the, the person, like the rebel in me is kind of like, well, well, fuck all that, man. Um, but (laughs) the, uh, the practical part of me is like, well, that's, that's interesting. But I, I think that's the conclusion we all come to. It's like, ultimately, if, if anybody's doing anything really unique at all, um, it's not going to be the instrument that necessarily defines that. In fact, it's going to be more about, decision making and playing versus yeah, like absolutely absolutely yes yeah. so and then and then whatever that instrument is i mean that's how instruments become iconic right it's like the instrument yeah. has nothing to do with the iconic status it's the player that played it right that's why everyone fell in love with those blocked jazz basses you know in rock zone because getty lee right yep. or everyone fell in love with rickenbackers in rock zone because of chris squire and oh if you 
if you're going to slap and, you know, like do the modern slap thing, like the Marcus Miller thing, you know, like the late seventies jazz bass and, you know, Oh, and I mean, talk, you know, the funk machine, right. Jamerson with that 62 P bass. I mean, and he just walked into a store and grabbed a bass. Like he, yeah. he didn't even, he didn't even want to play electric, but it was like more convenient, right. Cause he was getting all these sessions and he did all that early Motown stuff on an upright. And I mean, so it's just crazy what we, you know, we, we make it about the instrument, but it's really truly is about the player, you know, and then you just see those images. And like you say, you know, we, we uh, hear so much with our eyes, right? We're like, Oh, it must be that bass, you know? But I will say like something that I have experienced um, myself and like with drummers in session world, at least in Minneapolis is people that have, unassuming instruments or like classic instruments that aren't um and this is like drums and bass probably guitar to some extent too but for sure like drums and bass um if someone shows up a drummer shows up to a session with like a really just nice unassuming four-piece kit everyone is at ease but the instant like the third or fourth tom comes out Right. Or the symbols with holes in them (laughs) or you know what I'm saying? Like people start to worry and here's the worry. It's not that like the sounds themselves are going to be bad or like a a bass, you know, okay. Ian's now pulling out an E to C Fodera. Like, uh Oh, it's not so much that like that bass isn't going to sound good on the track. It's sometimes that gear, what it communicates is that you've thought more about that piece of gear than you have about music. That's the thing that I think people are scared of. And now whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But like, but it's sort of this thing starts to creep into artists and producers' minds of like, oh, the fancier the equipment or the equipment that's more sort of like niche, it means that you've spent more time running exercises uh, and trying to lock in certain like fantastic patterns than you have listening to Zeppelin one and two. Yeah. That are going to make that are so like, and I feel that about drummers, like drummers that show up with more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. I always think like, Oh man, they're going to want to use that bell tree (laughs) at, (laughs) at some point in the two. And maybe that, maybe that's fine, but it gives everyone a little bit of pause, you know? I remember seeing this thing where Sean Hurley talked about like he doesn't even bring his pedal board in to the session in, unless it's needed. Like it stays in his car because he doesn't want people to think, "Uh oh, here's the bass player with pedals and now he's going to want to use his dumb pedals. And I think yeah. that might be a little extreme. I mean, he's made quite the name for himself, but it it made me think. It's like, what are we thinking about here? Are we thinking about our fancy bass and is that the lens that we're viewing the session through like i'm bringing i'm playing my fancy bass fuck you or (laughs) is it i'm bringing this you know crappy japanese hollow body because uh i think it's got the best beach boys thing and that's the vibe of the session today you know like that's that's the difference i see in like um the session stuff that i'm a part of and the people that get called a lot are the people that are like really thinking about the music or the tune first and like their artistry or their instrument or their interpretation, um, not thinking about that first. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's weird, man. Like I, I thought about this one night when I was playing pool and uh, <laughs> I'm not really like a like I'm not like an amazing pool player. I can play well if I've been playing a lot. Yeah. But I feel like it's the kind of thing where when you see someone show up to a pool hall with their own cue and it in the the little case. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it might not mean that they're amazing pool players though. Like it just means that they walked in with their own cue. Like, cause it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's far more, I mean, I'm not judging people that have their own cue at all. Like if, if I, if I felt like I was bad enough or awesome enough at pool to have one, I would totally have one and it would have my, you know, SJ all over it and shit. But like, hell yeah. Um, I just think if <laughs> you, you listen, know, listen, I'm only laughing to, I'm so I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm only <laughs> laughing because I worked at the pool 
hall uh like game room at my college and i was one of the guys that ha- i bought my own cue man i was one of those guys right. oh, in my 20s i would show up and and i was i was a dismal player i was dismal it was not very good but i thought man my own cue is going to make me better but right. sorry so then you see then you witness a game where someone's just playing on like the house equipment right and they're yeah. they're shredding like they're yes. you know they're like they're putting away all, you know what I mean? Like, and I feel like that's the thing with, so if it's just sort of, you're using stuff that everyone uses, there's a commonality there. It doesn't, I think it's really more about the intimidation of stuff than anything else. Like I can't, like, I honestly, with the exception of one drummer, which I won't, who shall remain nameless. Like, yeah, I've played with drummers that, you know, have plenty of holes in their cymbals and I've never had this fear that does that mean there's going to be holes in their musical judgment? You know, like I always Ooh, feel, yeah, it's good. I it's just good. feel like there's a lot of people that they kind of know what they're, what they're using the stuff for and the sound they're going to yes. get from. And it totally made sense when I heard it. So yes, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to trust too. Like if I think, I think there's a first impression approach to this where it's like, okay, if you don't know what to expect, then I think, just bringing the thing that's going to get the home run. So for us, it would just mean someone that doesn't have to spend much time dialing in a sound, you know? Right. Um, But I think once you have some trust with somebody, then it's like probably not, you're probably not out of your depth to say, Hey, I got this thing. We should try it, you know? Cause absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I definitely, I think that's the thing about, um, you know, like, I mean, I still, it's what, what, what I like when I hear you talk about music is it sounds like you still have your, like your inner music fan is still driving the bus somewhat. And I think, yeah, that's probably like a really important component to have. And I feel like sometimes like when I'm listening to records that I love, like I'll hear something and I'll wonder like, you know, like on the umpteenth listen of something, like, what did they use? And I, I, you know, I saw yep. tool back in October and it was that same thing, man. Like I heard Justin Chancellor, he's such a big part of that sound. Yes. I, I would almost argue he's like the lead instrument in a lot of ways. Cause the right. bass and, and I came out of that concert being like, man, those guys are fucking awesome, but I kind of want to get a wall, man. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, right. That lasted a couple days until I saw how much they cost. And I was like, ah. <laughs> dude, I'm a, I'm a huge Mick Karn fan. Um, yeah. And and I bought a wall fretless thinking that, you know, this, this is about a year ago, thinking that like, oh, yeah, this is going to be it, man. And I I did not love it. I did not love it. And it was so expensive. <laughs> I thank thank goodness I was able to send it back. But man, for sure, I still fall prey to that stuff, too. We're like, but you're not responding to the wall. And of course, you know that. I mean, yeah, there's a sound that it has, but you're responding to like the artistry and the space that he takes up in that band. You know, if that were a stingray, if that were a, if that were a Sioux cop, if that were a, (laughs) you know what I mean? If that were a Tobias, it wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. It still, he still would have found a voice in that band that was like forceful, but dude, to your point of like, you know, the pool cue thing, I had this thing happen to me a while back where too, I was playing really fancy rigs and there's a great venue in Minneapolis called the ice house. And I remember playing a gig there. It's a great bass player um, named Jim Anton that plays in this town. He plays a lot with Corey Wong. Oh, I know um, James. Oh, I know James. Yeah. Cool guy. He is, great player. he is fabulous. Yes. And he was playing that night. Uh, you know, my band was opening up. It was a, a like kind of like a indie rock thing. And he was playing in this band called the droppers, where it was all like instrumental music, very cool. And I remember, I, oh, dude, I had one of those. I still have it actually, a Sadowski all tube head. It's called a SA two hundred, like a super boutiquey tube head, and you know, a Bergantino cab, um, you know, and fancy crap. And and I remember he came up to the front of the stage and said, "Wow, that's a fancy looking amp." And I said, "Oh man." Yeah, thanks. If if you if you want to use it for your set, you'd be more than welcome. And he's like, "Oh, it's okay." He's like, "I'm just going to use the house amp." I said, "Oh, what? I didn't even know there was a house amp. What is it?" He said, "Oh, it's that little Line Six, and it was one of those Line Six. Uh, what is it called? It was like a almost like a wedge, like you could tilt it back. So I think it's called like a low down ten or something. It okay, was like a little ten inch speaker, and you could tilt it back like a wedge, and it was tiny, like a little lunchbox. And I was like, "Oh." 
all right, man. And we played our set and it was fine. And, uh, and then, you know, Jim got up there with the droppers and murdered. He was playing, you know, like a chopped up kind of pawn shoppy Mustang bass that had an extra pickup routed in it, you know, and just a chord who cared about the chord. He didn't think about that. That chord went into that line six amp, you know, and he murdered and it was about his, it was about his concept, you know, and it was a huge lesson. I had, you know, $8,000 of gear on that stage, probably playing too loud. So they turned me down on the PA, right? Yeah. And Jim went up, plugged into that little thing, took a DI out, didn't play too loud. They pumped it in the PA and it crushed. And it was a huge lesson. And, and mainly for me, it's like, I just, I have to always be really, really thoughtful about how much time I'm thinking about gear versus how much time I'm thinking about music. My time is so much better spent if I'm digging into a song that inspired me and trying to learn how to, you know, get that sound or play that kind of technique with the things I have versus like, oh man, just looking on reverb and eBay and trying to acquire, you know, a new, a new thing. And, but but the reason is because I'm I'm kind of a gear guy. Like I'm I am wired to want to collect and to want to have all the tools, you yeah. know. And but when I heard Jim just play the bass that he had that night with the little amp on stage, who cares? I was like, oh, this is a guy that has really thought more about music, um, and that's like always a struggle for me, and it's what I aim for. It's not certainly not what I like always achieve, but, uh, man, I think about that stuff all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, there's always, I mean, there's always, you know, we, we're, we have the infinite box of crayons now, you know, yes. uh, or infinite, infinite box of crayons. I'm from, I feel like Marylanders, like I'm from Maryland, like right outside DC and like the way people pronounce crayon, it's, I say yeah. crayon and I know that's like not not really the way you're supposed to pronounce it. Like, like um, you say it like cranberries, like crayons. Yeah. Like crayons yeah, too, man. I grew up in <laughs> Montana and no one said crayons. Yeah. Uh, everyone said crayons and root beer. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that's recently been pointed out to me that it sounds funny. Um, so uh, you're all right, man. You're all right. Um, well, man, this has been great. I, I always like to wrap up with this question. Sure. Any books, records, or movies you can recommend for the quarantine? Is there anything you've been checking out that's been blowing your mind as of late? Man, we I, I am very fortunate to be a part of a big-time Star Wars family. So my Great. daughter, who's eight, was like, I know, I know. I mean, and it's it's largely my doing, although I didn't feel like I pushed too hard for it because I'm a big Star Wars guy. But my daughter recently said to me, can we start Clone Wars from the beginning? And I, my heart just... I was like, you are the best. I mean, so fun. So we're getting through that together as a family, which is pretty fun. Um, we've been doing a lot of Star Wars stuff. And, you know, because we've got small kids, we've been doing like, uh, you know, the Disney, like Disney movie catalog. So Disney Plus has been a huge thing. I think like um, a record that I loved coming into this whole thing and still really love is this band called The Midnight. Um there's a, a record called Kids, and it's this nostalgia-fueled thing around, like, video game sounds and um, and about, like, growing up kind of in the 80s is how it, how it feels. And, oh, it is just – it's a beautiful record. Like, musically, it sounds very simple, but it's, it's very deep, really cool themes, uh, great narrative stuff. There's the title track, this tune called Kids, is, like, a heartbreaking – chorus i i'm i'm such a sucker for lyrics so that that record has been huge for me man kids came out in 2018 by the midnight okay. um and then the, the other crazy thing man i've been riding um been trying to stay in shape so i've been riding we have a peloton which i'm super thankful for and man there have been like i've been doing these like uh hip-hop rides where i'll ride and they'll they'll be like a hip-hop playlist and there's some tunes like, um, oh, uh, uh, tunes from Wiz Khalifa. There's a tune called Black and Yellow that I know like is huge on Spotify, but I'd never checked it out. I've been like really inspired by some bass lines, like hip hop and electronic bass lines recently in like uh, music that I've heard that I've been trying to like dig into and cop. Um, 
And I find that I end up using that stuff on sessions all the time. Oh yeah. So like yeah, man, the baseline totally. for black and yellow is, is super rad. So I've been checking that out. Um, Dua Lipa. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but she's pop artist. Um, been checking her out. Baselines are crazy cool. And, and then I've got a buddy too, who makes like electronic music in Nashville. His name is Johnny be good. And he put out an EP recently called One Up. And it's all like, again, it's like kind of nostalgic, like 8-bit video game sounds. And man, there's just something that pulls at my heartstrings about those sounds, probably because of the age I am. And, you know, thinking back, getting my Nintendo when I was eight. But um, I've yeah. been really inspired by electronic music and hip hop in particular in terms of like sonic creation for what I'm shooting for these days. So it's weird. I've got this combo of like, I really love these very like vintage sort of authentic, you know, McCartney, um, Carol Kay, hollow body vibes. Um, but then I have this complete like 180 where I really love synthetic sounds on the instrument. And so kind of like the combo of those two things, not necessarily married together, but, um, like operating in those two zones, has been like super inspiring to me lately. That's awesome, man. I mean, I feel like a lot of the electronic stuff um, and a lot of the hip hop things that have come out and even like the things that sort of take strains of those two types of music and weave themselves into pop. I mean, I think that's been like an interesting oh, juxtaposition awesome. of those sounds. Um, yes. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of stuff, man. Um, that, I, I think it's a good time for music discovery, man. So I appreciate you mentioning all those. Um, but, dude, thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, oh, thank you so much for reaching out, man. It was, like, seriously, a breath for me. It was really fun to talk to you. Awesome, man. Uh, well, take care, bro, and, and stay in touch. Love it. That's going to do it for this episode of Stir Crazy. Be sure to check Ian out on Instagram. His handle is at Ian Martin Allison. If you want to know more about me, go to my website, www.stevejenkinsbase.com. Find me on Instagram. The handle is at Steve Jenkins. Find me on Twitter. The handle is at SJBassPlayer. Thanks for listening, and be well, folks. Stir crazy.